Thank you, Lord, that we can just come worship you and just really ask, Father, as we do every week, Lord, we ask for your blessing on what we're about to think about, Father, and the words we're about to, to hear. And Lord, we ask that you would take those words, Father, um, from an unclean mouth, Lord, from a broken mouth, and that, Lord, that by the power of your transforming power of your spirit, that we would all really hear what we need to hear, Father, even if the words that are in our hearts are, Lord, not at all similar to what's said. We pray, Father, only that your kingdom would come, only that each one of us would be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, that each one of us would again be filled with your spirit, would know you better and be more like your son when we leave this place. Father God, increase our faith, we pray. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to be like your son. Teach us what it means to carry our cross. And Lord, just bless this time, we pray you would be here and you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. All good sermons start with a question, don't they? Uh, or a funny story. But uh, I've dumped funny stories for a bit because you weren't laughing. So um, we'll revisit that in a few weeks. You've only got yourselves to blame, um, frankly. You've only got to laugh. And, you know, so uh, we'll come back to that another time. Anyway, um, so let me ask you a question. What are you most looking forward to? Right here, right now, what are you most looking forward to? Not maybe this year, maybe in the next 10 years. Anyone want to give me some suggestions? Maybe it's a holiday? That's retirement. Perhaps it's going back to work, um, depending on what your situation is. Anyone want to tell you what you're excited about? Maybe you're excited about your wedding blessing? Is it yes? Good. Uh, anybody? Yeah, sorry? Excited about your baptism? Good answer. Anybody else excited about anything? No? Wow. Someone must be excited about something. <laughs> I need to, sorry? <laughs> yeah, I need to change the, the talk, I think, about making them living an abundant life or something. No one excited about anything? No one going on holiday? Spring is coming, that's not bad. Yeah, good. Oh, wait, which is? Are you excited by that? Well, yeah, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? Fantastic. Anyone else excited about anything? Same time I found is a good answer. Finally, the ceiling. I have visions of you walking upstairs and just falling through, but maybe not. Um, yeah, be careful. I, I think I'm going to stop there because, um, yeah, well, I think some, some of us need to plan some fun days out, I think. Um, it's good to get excited. As you know, I, I like to get excited by things. And, uh, and it was cold this morning, and I found myself thinking it feels a little bit like Christmas. But I thought I, m- I mustn't mention the, the C word just yet. Um, it's even too early for me. When I was younger, I used to get so excited by things, my mum stopped telling me we were doing things. And uh, my mum, this is, this is actually true, my mum wouldn't tell me we were going anywhere until about 10 minutes before we left because she learnt her lesson when she'd say, we're going to London in two weeks' time. And I'd just be like, yes! And every day, oh, I can't wait. I, can't. I wouldn't sleep and I'd get on her nerves. I wouldn't sleep and I'd get on her nerves. And it went round and round and round and round like that. So in the end, I'd be up in my bedroom playing with my cars, as you do, about 17 or 18 years old. That's not true. And uh, my mum would come in and she'd say to me... Um, we're going out. Well, where? <laughs> London. When? Now? Oh, okay, fair enough. So I get my shoes and I go. Um, let me ask you another question. This is, not, this is a rhetorical question, so you haven't got to put your hand up. What are you most excited about, about being a Christian? What are you most looking forward to as a Christian? Heaven is, not the, is, is a good answer. But, um, but if I took heaven off, don't, the rhetorical question there. But if I took heaven away, because I was gonna, just going to say you can't have heaven as your answer. <laughs> if we take heaven out, maybe you're 40 like me, you're 40, maybe 40 years left, whatever God gives to us. What are you most looking forward to as a Christian? 
Just think about it. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay, good. Okay, good. So often we, we look forward, we enjoy those things, but I wonder what you're expecting God to do in the next period of your life, what you're looking forward to him doing as you go forward. We as Christians often look back, don't we? We look back to our salvation, as you rightly said. We look back to the moment when we were saved and we went from death to life, and we rightly are excited by that, and we rightly rejoice over that. But I wonder if as Christians we're not so good about thinking forward. We think about heaven, we think about where we'll be when we die. But what about the rest of your life? Why not excites us about what God might do going forward in the rest of our Christian walk? I've got a little picture that Laz is going to put up. Laz always puts my photos up. Um, I don't want to say anything. Um, <laughs> there we are. Um, so sometimes we're very good at looking backwards. Uh, it's that moment when we were saved. But I wonder if we've not got anything really to think about for the rest of our lives. And uh, you might be thinking, well, I'm on the tea and coffee road, and that's quite exciting. <laughs> Is that it? Surely there's more to being a Christian than that, as good as being on the tea and coffee road there is. Um, chapter 2 of Ephesians, Daphne read a few verses right at the very beginning, which we're looking at this morning, reminds us of what's gone before, the past. But it also reminds us of what's coming, the future. And actually, it's very exciting. Chapter 2 of Ephesians is brilliant. It is a wonderful book, the book of Ephesians, uh, written by Paul, obviously, somewhere maybe 60, 63 AD, to non-Jews, Gentiles, as they're called, as we're called, I should say. Uh, He writes his letter to people who want to grow in their faith. Uh, The book of Ephesians is full of doctrine, full of things to learn to help the people that read it grow in their faith, and so they can become all that God is calling them to be. And as a Christian, every single one of us, it is true to say there is more. But God wants more from every single one of us. There is more that God is calling us to be. You're not it yet. You will never be there. You'll never, not one of us in this room will ever be where God wants us to be because God is always wanting to do more in us, always wanting to grow us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We're not just um, been saved to, to escape our sin and then just stand in Christ and stay there and be static. Faith is never supposed to be static. And I actually am in a constant state of fear, godly fear, I hope, uh, that I'm wasting opportunities for the kingdom of God. It worries me that at 40 years old, I'm about halfway through, I guess, um, hopefully, um, but it worries me that I should be doing something else, not something else, that sounds like I'm resigning from the front, but it worries me that God has called me for all sorts of things and I, and I don't do it because we're comfortable. We think, well, I'm all right where I am, Lord. I, I do enough, I do more than that guy, so that's all right, uh, more than that little group over there. But what if God's calling us to to more things, scary things, dangerous things. and I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable with my Christian walk. Are you comfortable with yours? Are you in a place where you think, I'm all right, things are good, scary, it's dangerous to be there. We should be uncomfortable. We should be wanting to be more like Christ every single day. We should be wanting to make more risks for the kingdom of God. What else, Lord? What else, Lord? What else, Lord? And uh, Rachel, one of our leadership meetings, um, told us a story or retold us the story, I should say, from a guy called John Piper. Um, I'm going to read it to you. It's not too long. Um, and it's, it's called Shell Collection, but that will become clear, um, hopefully, as I read it. But this is, uh, I'll read it from the beginning. It says, John Piper, well-known Christian speaker and writer, told this true story in front of thousands of students some years ago. He was trying to persuade them not to waste their lives buying into the American dream. 
And this is what he says. At almost 80, Laura was a retired doctor and Ruby, well into her 80s, a retired nurse. They decided that they would go to Cameroon to tell as many people as they could about Jesus Christ. One day, the brakes on their car failed and they went over a cliff and died instantly. (laughs) All good stories then. (laughs) Their church back home in America was devastated. But I ask you this. Was this a tragedy? These two women knew one thing that had captured their heart and soul and wanted to tell it to everyone they could. One day they flew off a cliff straight into the arms of their saviour. John Piper says, that's not a tragedy. And then he says this, this is a tragedy. Then he holds up a leaflet found in a Reader's Digest dated February 1998. The title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in, in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. That's a tragedy. The, and there are people spending billions of dollars trying to get you to buy into this dream. I plead with you, John says, with all my heart, do not buy it. Do not buy it. Because in the final moment, when you stand in front of God and you are asked to give an account of what you did, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look at my wonderful shell collection. Look at my boat. And don't I have a great golf swing? Won't cut it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. I like that. That was a good story. Challenging on many levels, not least the age. But don't you want to be a Christian that lives for something? Don't you want to be a Christian that stands for something, even dies for something? Don't you want to be someone that on those final moments, your last breath is about trying to change someone's eternity. If you want to be that Christian, that man or woman of God, you've got to read your Bible. You've got to grow. You've got to attend regularly on a Sunday morning. You should join a connect group so you can develop good godly friendships. You need to grow your gifts by finding somewhere to serve. Many Christians don't read their Bible, do they? I know many Christians that say to me, I hardly ever pick it up. That breaks my heart, if I'm honest. I won't make everyone feel uncomfortable, but it breaks my heart. This is a, a national uh, epidemic of Christians. I hardly ever read it. And I think, well, that's why you don't ever hear God's voice. God can't talk to you if you don't read his book. God don't talk to you if you don't ever pray. But if we want to be these great men and women of God that don't mind flying off the side of cliffs for the kingdom of God, then you've got to spend time in his presence. We've got to make Sunday a priority, join a connect group, and find somewhere to grow in our spiritual gifts, serving somewhere. And so as we come on to chapter 2 of Ephesians, it really grabbed my attention as I looked at it this week. I thought this is a wonderful chapter of the Bible. Of course, not all wonderful. I'm not saying that. And what I love about it is as Paul goes through this chapter, he reminds his readers of the past. This is what you were. Remember what you were. And then he reminds them of the future. Remember what you are. This is what you were once and this is what you are now. And, uh, but before we get to chapter 2, I'd love to read to you chapter 1. Because chapter 1 just sets up the whole book wonderfully. And chapter 1 is such a a beautiful introduction uh, to this letter to the church in Ephesus. And actually, it's good to read big chunks of the Bible. A lot of us um, get a verse from the day, it comes to our phone or our inbox, and they're good. It's good to have a verse for the day. It's very hard to build an understanding of God on one verse 
every day. I really encourage you to try and read bigger chunks and meditate and really think through what those words mean. But let me read to you what Ephesians, all of chapter 1 says. It'll take about two minutes. And let the words of God just flow over us as you read it. It's a real setting up for chapter 2. Starts Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption into sonship through Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has given freely to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first of our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. I love it. Isn't it brilliant? It's so brilliant to read a whole chapter and just let, it, uh, let the words really wash over you. And as Paul gets into chapter 2, which we'll just go through in a moment, Paul does two things I've already said. He encourages his readers to look backwards to that moment when God saved them. And then he points their hearts forward to what's coming, what's exciting. He says in verses 1 to 3 how they were dead in their sin. This is what you were. This is the past. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh 
and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest who are by nature deserving of wrath. That's what you were. That's who you were, deserving of God's justice and his punishment. Sinners broken and away from God. But in Christ, this is what you are. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul says, remember you were dead once, but now you're in Christ and you're alive and you're raised up to the heavens. And then he goes on to say, remember you were separated. Therefore, verse 11, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done to the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Once you're away from God, you had no access to Abraham, Moses and Isaac. But now, he says in verse 13, this is what you are now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul in this chapter just reminds me, this is what God did. This is what God has done. But he's not finished there yet because he wants to remind them that they're actually being saved for a greater purpose. That salvation isn't just about individual transformation. You see, some Christians can only talk about the past, can't they? Some Christians, if you say, what's the best thing God's ever done? will say to you, 25 years ago, this happened to me. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the last time you can say God did this, there is something wrong with that. I tell stories in the past all the time and I apologise for going on about Bangladesh. It was a long time ago. But that's not the last thing I can tell you God's done in my life. It's sad when Christians can only look back to things God did. When we have a God who is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. And a God who does. And a God who will do. What are you excited by? In your faith, what would you love God to use you for? What dreams has God put on your heart? What visions keep you awake at night where you think, God, use me for that, please? That's the sort of thing we should be thinking about. What dreams does God give you? What excites you most about the coming kingdom of God? Do we think about the coming kingdom of God, which is going to outlast all kingdoms? If we only ever look backwards, it will lead to small faith and small dreams. If we look forward to the king of kings and the kingdom that will have no end, it means that we have big faith, big dreams, and we'll become people that take great risks because we know our future is secure and God is going to win. God is coming. We will step out and give it all up, no matter the cost, just like those two older ladies who found themselves flying off a cliff at 80 years old. How wonderful is that? So Paul now is going to show them what that salvation in the past was actually for. Because it wasn't just to escape punishment for their sin. He starts the next section, verse 19, with the word consequently. Consequently, because. You see, 
he's going to go on and say something wonderful. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul goes on to say, that was then, but this is now. Now, you're God's people. Now you're a member of God's household. He's the king, and you're his servants. You're in his service. You're being built on the apostles' teaching and the prophets that went before, but you're being built into something beautiful through Christ Jesus. Described as a chief cornerstone. In ancient buildings, they would have one stone normally in the corner, hence the name, um, which would be the principal stone. That would be the stone that would be put best and all the measurements and angles would come off of it. And if your cornerstone was out of kilter, the whole building would be off. Like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, not quite what it should be. And Christ is our cornerstone. And onto that cornerstone, as Peter says, we are bricks of God's temple. God is building his holy temple, so to speak. Not literally, but through the faith and hearts of his people on earth. God is doing something in the world through his church. And that's us. We are all bricks that go on top of this cornerstone. And because he is set, because he is perfect, because he is holy, because he is God, when we let him build with us, he builds something beautiful and wonderful. We become a holy people, a royal priesthood. And that God uses us as the very bricks in what he's building so that he will be pleased to dwell among his people and change the world. And when I ask that question at the beginning, what are you most excited by about being a Christian of course the answer is heaven. But that's like saying in January, the only thing I'm looking forward to is my holidays in October. There's a whole massive gap between now and then. And in this bit, God is building his temple. God is building his church. God is putting his people there, dwelling among them, and slowly bringing into this world the good news of Jesus. Many Christians, when they first become Christians, are very excited at the beginning, aren't they? They get saved, they get baptized. It's all brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, they tell all their friends about Jesus. And almost the same thing happens, all too regularly. A few years later, that initial excitement wanes. They come to church because you have to. Fine, I'll, I'll help on a Thursday and do that because I need more volunteers. I'll go on the tea and coffee rotor. Fine, I'll do that. I'll help at that special event. And after a while, you move too many chairs, you know, ridiculous tables we have, you hurt your wrists trying to undo them and put them away. And after a while, it just feels like another organization that you belong to, another group that you have to help out with. And really, you think, well, I could just stay at home, perhaps. And in the end, your faith starts getting slightly tapered, slightly worn down. You begin to lose that passion that you had at the beginning. You have what they call a mid-faith crisis. You hear stories like those two old ladies that drive off a cliff and rather than be inspired to join them, we just start feeling bad. Because you think, do you know what, they're like nearly, nearly at the end. They've got more faith than I've ever had. More passion than I've ever had. I can't even be bothered to go budging sometimes, to be honest. Sometimes God serves up an evangelistic opportunity on a plate. Someone says, tell me what you believe. And I think, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll tell you, Maybe another time, Lord. Make it obvious next time. Give me a chance. You think, well, I like church, but 
if I miss a week, it doesn't really matter. I don't have to be in a connect group. I'll just, just come and go. It's all right. It doesn't really matter. And our faith just begins to think. And I think a big part of it is that perhaps we're not realizing what God is actually doing. There are other reasons, of course, your faith might stagnate. It might be that you want your cake and eat it. Maybe you want one, one foot in God's kingdom and all the spiritual blessings that Paul just said. And you want all the blessings of a broken, sinful world. You can't really have both, I'm afraid. We have to crucify the flesh and f- take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's both feet in God's kingdom or, or probably none, I suspect. I don't think you can have both. Sometimes our faith stagnates because we want the best of both worlds. You can't do it. You can't do it. Maybe our faith stagnates because we simply just won't engage with God. We're saved. We're in the Lamb's book of life. We're going to heaven. That's sort of okay, and the rest is just personal to me, and I'm not going to do anything with it. Maybe it's that, but I think for a lot of people, they become a Christian, and no one ever says what's exciting about being a Christian. We talk about how good it is when we were saved from our sin, but the older you get, this is a long time ago, and you know you're going to heaven, you should be pleased by that, and we are pleased by that. But what if we began to see the world as God sees it, that he's building his temple, that we are that temple and that God is going to inhabit our praises inhabit our gatherings and use us even us and if I was a brick I wouldn't be one that a builder would use but God is pleased to use us what if we started getting excited about what God is actually doing and then when you go on a Friday night until quarter past ten when you finally get home and you set up for coffee and if you ever help with zone one they're so loud it's always loud I like to play football. I was up by the uh, table tennis room and I just thought, it was so loud, all of you. There's 4,000 children that come on a Friday, I swear. And, uh, and they're just so loud. And you could easily think, oh, I could do without this. I just stay at home, watch Netflix. Why not? It's Friday, I've worked all week. But it's building the kingdom of God. And maybe you think, I don't want to do the site rotor. It's so boring. I'd much rather be in here and be bored in here with my friends rather than over there. But we're building the kingdom of God. Maybe the tea and coffee rotor doesn't seem very appealing, but it's building the kingdom of God. Everything, when you see it as God building his holy temple, becomes valuable all of a sudden. Why do we go off to Haley every other week? Why do we set up for open door and try desperately to tell a story that no one listens to except one child? Uh, Why do we go through all the things we go through and make lunch? So much food is made. Uh, So many tables are shoved around. People have days off. People do all sorts of things. Some of us walk around Sawbridgeworth every single day and ask God to bless it. If our faith is only in the past, why do we bother with any of this? Why are we having a month of prayer? If there's nothing to get excited about except heaven, well, I tell you, there is something to get excited about. But God wants to change things. He wants Sawbridgeworth to himself. And he wants to use you and me to do it. He wants this church to be quadruple the size. Of course he does. He wants us to have five or six services every single Sunday. We're going to redevelop our site, Lord willing. Why bother if our faith is just about being thankful for escaping hell and going to heaven? But it's not, is it? We're going to have a site that is so wonderful that in generations to come, when the church is much bigger, they'll be thankful we did it. We're taking unnecessary risks if there's nothing to look forward to. But if God is building his kingdom here, then every risk is worth taking. Because God is coming, Christ is coming back. And I don't know about you, I want to be flying off the cliff when he does. Not collecting shells. Let's pray.
That's a good place to stop. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, Lord, just as we collect our thoughts again, Lord, we just want to ask that you would bless us. Father God, not bless us to make us comfortable. Father God, there should be no retirement in your kingdom. Retirement is heaven. Retirement, Lord, is eternal rest with you in glory. But Lord, we're called to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor, to go the extra mile. We're called, Lord, to pick up a heavy cross and follow Christ. And he, Lord, was serving to the very last breath, even pronouncing forgiveness as he died. Lord God, make us worthy of this temple you build. Lord, I pray that you would make our bricks worthy to be placed just where you want them. Father God, for any here who look at what they do and wonder why, remind them, Lord, that this isn't just about being a nice organization. This is your kingdom being built one way or another for all sorts of ways so that any and all will know that salvation that we all know from death to life, from outsider to child. Lord, build this church, I beg you, Lord. Build us as well and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.